So we have a heavy message today, obviously, right? Just so you know that I'm not taking this out as a perfunctory uh, attempt at trying to talk about something that is just difficult. It is in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. I took the liberty of putting it on the screen just so you could read it. But uh, when we go through 1 John chapter 2 as we're going through it uh, expositionally, line by line, it reads in verse 18, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. I'm going to go ahead and read through verse 23, just so that I can make the case for the fact that verse 18 needs to be dealt with before we proceed in the explanation. But it says in verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. Who's he referring to? Many antichrists have gone out from us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they, had, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As I was reading through this pericope this week, in verse 18, I was struck by the fact that you really can't deal much with the rest of 1 John in total unless you have a good understanding of what it is or who it is that is referring to the Antichrist. These are deep and weighty messages. And so they're going to have a tone of seriousness and solemnity. And well, they should. We're talking about one who opposes Christ, who is trying to take glory to himself and subject God down to his level and to deceive the whole world. But, and, and there, are, there is a lot of, 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 of thinking among the church as to the Antichrist. There's always been attempts at trying to uh, predict who he will be or maybe who he was even. There are a lot of Antichrist that has been down through history. But today I just want to take it systematically as the verse is laying it out. And I want to say this to you as we, as we look at who or what the Antichrist is is simply this. If you're in Jesus Christ and you've been saved, you need not fear the Antichrist. At all. And I mean at all. Now, you might brace for impact for what kind of world that advent brings, the conditions with which exist for him coming to light, in which I'll talk about. You, you, you need to prepare for that. But the only way to prepare for it is to simply do what you should be doing daily is spending time with Jesus in the Word and understanding that He is with you in all that you do and wherever you go and to make Him your only true hope and to keep yourself, as James talks about, pure and undefiled, unspotted from the world because that's what true religion is is to limit yourself to that which Jesus embraces. 
And as I said a lot, you know, in, in your life, if it brings you closer to Jesus, do that. If it takes you farther away, don't have anything to do with that. So that's how you prepare for the Antichrist. It isn't, preparing for the Antichrist is not sticking your head in the sand, burying your head and going, it'll never happen, it'll never happen. Go to a happy place, go to a happy place. It's just, it's simply understanding that God is sovereign and in control and everything we're reading in the book is coming to pass. Okay, and so I don't look, I mean, I, I don't look forward to going out in the blazing heat but God's still over the sun. So uh, I, I know that we have to deal with this. And if we're going to proceed in First John here, we have to go into it knowing that for those of us who know Jesus, we have the hope of glory and that the Lord is with us wherever we go, okay? And that anything that befalls us is going to be according to his perfect plan and purpose for his kingdom and our good. Now, if you don't know Jesus, if you're at without Christ, you don't know Christ, you've, you've held God at bay back there. First, I'm glad you're here because that means that God is, 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 is seen fit to extend grace to you to bring you under the preaching of the word. But if the, for the people who don't know Jesus, the Antichrist is your undoing because if you are alive during that time, in which case I believe it is now, you will believe him. Should you reject the gospel, should the truth of Jesus not be in you, and you're left to your own devices, you will swallow that line and everything in it. I remember and this is in the Old Testament, I believe it was uh, Elijah, I always get him and Elisha mixed up, but they were talking to a man who was going to become king of Syria, I think. And he was a servant of the king who was yet alive, who had sent to Elijah and said, well, I survive this infection that I have. And Elijah, he said he stared him to shame, right? He stared him to shame. He goes, why are you, he embarrassed him because he was just looking at him. He goes, you are going to kill your king and then you're going to attack Israel and then you're going to rip open the pregnant women with child and pull their babies out. And this man was so offended by that, so turned off by such an insult, right? And then he went out and he did it because the spirit of the age and in that moment, he did it. So without Jesus, you have no immunity, if you will, to the poison of the Antichrist. You need Jesus. You must be born again. You must be saved. You must repent of your sin. You must surrender before the lordship of the sovereign grace of God and be saved from this evil and adulterous generation. You must come to Christ. You must, or you will be lost. Little children, padilla, small ones. It is the last hour. That's sobering. Now John wrote this, and I believe uh, AD 68 or so. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know, and there it is, is again, the last hour. 
Well, why is he repeating himself? What is it? What is the last hour? This verse is written in the form of what's called a chiasm or a chiasmus for the purpose of giving structure and poetic form, making the text more digestible and memorable. In short, it's used to help zero in on what the writer wants you to really know so that it'll stick. That's why 1 John, chapter 18, or 1 John 2 verse 18 is written this way. You have a last hour, you have a last hour, and then you have the stuff in between. So it's really a look here sandwich. Okay, is what it is. Look at this. So, a chiasm, if you will, is kind of like this. Failure to plan is planning to fail. What's the emphasis? Plan. (laughs) Or you will fail. (laughs) Okay. Love is if you would one day hate, and hate is if you would one day love. Saying the same thing. The emphasis is love. Okay, love. Right now. So in John's chiasm, there are three components. And I would ask you to just make them like a, like a sandwich. On top is the last hour. On the bottom is the last hour. And in the middle, the guts of the sandwich is the Antichrist and Antichrist in their coming. That's what he's wanting you to know. So that's why he writes this way. So that you will know. So that you will know. So that it will be known that you know it. Okay, that's the emphasis there, right? Okay, last hour. According to Marvin Vincent, the phrase does not refer to the end of the world, but to the period preceding a crisis in the advance of Christ's kingdom. A changeful and troublous period marked by the appearance of many antichrists. So this is a... This is... This last hour is the build-up, the proceeding up to the advent of that man of sin. It is a time of deception. Now, here's the thing about deception. I always say it. Deception deceives you. And you never know you're in a deception because you're deceived. That's how it works. Would that be a chiasm? Probably a little bit. In John 2.4, as an example of the word hora in the Greek is where we get the word hour, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, Jesus said this to his mama when there was no wine. And she's saying, do something that you do. You do great things, <laughs> okay? Zap some in or something. He goes, woman, my hour has not yet come. That means that all of the attention and all of the activity and all of the things and shifts that are going to take place as I approach my work have not yet come. It's just not quite ready yet. My hour, okay? In John 5.25, Jesus uh, says, Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming... And now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. In which case we know that when we hear the voice of the Son of God in the preaching of the gospel we hear, but also in the resurrection. When the voice, the trump of God will sound, the dead in Christ will rise. And we're like, yay, and right? And, and so we're reassembled if we've been cremated or buried in the earth and the sea. And all that's just going to come back together. It's an amazing picture in my mind. But... <laughs> 
that hour is coming. But it's not yet. But it's coming. That, that time. And then in John 16 too, Jesus talks about this time. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. Now we know that to be during what we call the end times. We'll often lump all this stuff into the end times. But this is also this time that Jesus is talking about that last in John 16 too. This is the, the time of the Antichrist. This is the time of all of that coming to bear. And you read that and you think, wow, that's some intense time. So we have this hour that's signifying some difficulties ahead, which seems like an understatement for me to say difficulties. So who is the Antichrist? And I would also probably pause it and say, what is? Who is and what is the Antichrist? Because I think right now it's a both and, but it will ultimately end up with a person. The Antichrist, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2.4, is he who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Are you really? Yes, exactly. That's this guy. A, so the Antichrist is a literal person that is going to assume this kind of intrigue and effect in the world. And this is what he's going to do. He's going to set in God's temple and show himself that he is God. And of course, this gets into a lot of prophecy, and I don't want to get into that, but it does assume a third temple. I'm not quite sure to see how it doesn't. There are some thoughts that would indicate how that couldn't be, but I don't think they really hold water. Nonetheless, that time of the Antichrist, he will do that. That's his attitude, right? Which is pure evil. Just sheer, belligerent, hate-filled evil. He is called the man of sin, the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3. The man of sin. That's what the scripture calls him, the man of sin. Now, others down here may call him the greatest thing since sliced bread and bottled milk. But he is the man of sin, the son of perdition, evil. Let no one deceive you by any means, as it goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians, because that day will not come. So what day? That day of the Antichrist and him going, it's me, okay? That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Don't be deceived by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and he is revealed. Now that's a big fat statement. And this is where you can really go to task with different views of eschatology. But know this, that this is who this person is, right? The day then, uh, the, the term the hour, the last hour, all refer to the time of the falling away. The falling away. 
What does that look like? The falling away. Well, quite honestly, it looks like now. I, I, I'm sorry, it just, it, it just looks, like, it looks like now. It looks like our world, except it continues to progress and get more severe. That's what it looks like. And you know all that stuff because you all are informed. The time can often be alluded to, this time, you've heard this phrase, as the spirit of the age. Have you ever heard that phrase before, the spirit of the age? It's actually from the 18th and 19th century German philosophy uh, camp. It refers to an invisible agent or force dominating the characteristics of a given epoch in world history. You'll hear old-timers talk, back in my day, you know, uh, we had hard rock candy. And, and, you know, that was a big treat. And then back in my day, you know, ding-dongs were about that big around and covered with foil. And, you know, now they're not. <laughs> so back in my day, you know, cars actually lasted a little longer than they do now. And, and back in my day, gas didn't cost nearly $4 a gallon. And we have all kinds of things that we could refer to what it was like back in a certain period of time. Or, or they will say back in those days. But when we refer to the spirit of the age, we're not talking just about how, you know, what gas cost or how food was. We're talking about the attitude of culture. So the spirit of the age when America was, was expanding west would have been one of conquering and, and, and exploration and, and seeing new things and going for the gold and, you know, Going to Alaska and you had the gold, you had all this stuff, California, I mean, you had the push westward of westward, westward expansion and all those kind of things. But when we refer to it in the church as the spirit of the age, we're literally talking about the attitude of evil permeating every crevasse of society. We're talking about the hate-filled agenda of hell making itself manifest in governments all over the world. We're talking about subjugating people or else. It is force and coercion for an evil end. It's about lockstep agreement. Don't you vacillate or ask or dare question. This is the spirit of the age. It's, it's, a, it's that ugly of a time. The spirit of the age is just another way of describing an ever-increasing godless culture, the celebration of sexual perversion, the continued erosion of the traditional family, and the ever-growing oppressiveness of corrupt governments penalizing traditional Christian values and open hostility of anyone who stands for biblical truth and principle. That is the spirit of the age. I have a video that I want to show you. Last year when I was driving back from Oregon, which is a whole discussion, um, I, they had, this was the time they had, were getting ready to pass the Equality Act. Have everyone heard of the Equality Act? If you're not aware of the Equality Act, why? But... Uh, Anyway, this is where the federal government finally um, gave the stamp of approval for uh, people being able to choose their own gender, transgender rights, homosexual rights, all of those things in the workforce, in the schools, you name it. Taking, and stripping 
parents' rights away while their kids can go off and do these things. The Equality Act. And uh, Jerry Nadler, which is a Democrat from New York, uh, made some comments that I find very startling, but very real. Now, I'm going to show you this video. I'm not showing it to you at all in the way of a political, with a political tone. It has one, but I want you to actually hear the words that's being spoken here as it's described as what we're reading about the spirit of the age. Wes, I make sure the sound works. The, the spirit of the age. The spirit of the Antichrist. Interesting as I was thinking about that as it pertains to America, John Adams, our second president, he wrote this one time in his diary. He was a prolific uh, writer in his diary. He said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. I am sure as we have in God we trust emblazoned across the top of what you saw there in, in, in that place isn't any longer the sentiment of those largely in power or in control. Now that's just our nation. That's just here. And, and, and many would say that by far we're probably in the best situation because our neighbors just north of us are in worse in, in a worse position. Uh, and if you go into Australia, they're even worse. And if you start going around the world, it gets even worse. Of course, China, right? The point is that I, and the reason I wanted to use that is because I think most of you here, for he, to hear someone that's elected to public office stand in the Congress of the United States and say, the will of God is not the concern of this Congress. Is actually the spirit of the age speaking. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. And all those people that think that way, increasing. Okay? The spirit of the age is simply the manifestation of the spirit of the Antichrist. It's prepping for his time. It is the last hour. It is a time of moral collapse, a redefining of God-assigned roles and values, and the suppression of truth. It is a time of villainizing biblical Christianity and the celebration and defending of vice and perversion. In essence, it is Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, to which I want to turn your attention. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So we know from reading the Scripture... That when truth is suppressed, that is the fingerprints of the spirit of the age, the spirit of the Antichrist. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, 
His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And they do all this intentionally, knowing. Because although they knew God, now as Jerry Nedler is saying what he said in this particular example, he's staring at the in God we trust above the speaker's bench that's been there how long? All the way back, nearly. So, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were, nor were thankful. But it says in verse 21, they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And the word for futile is mateo in the Greek, and it means to make empty, to make vain, and to make foolish. That's the first judgment of God you receive when the gospel of Christ does not hold your soul. You believe lies. So it says, professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. I used to think that was just in sexual perversions of those attempts, but now they're actually mutilating themselves to convince themselves that they're one gender or another, or my new favorite, nothing. Like, neutral. As in, clear? I don't know. But it says, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And that's what you saw. That's what that was. That's what that was. The Equality Act, is. that's what it's about. For this reason, God gave them over to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Oh boy, and does he. To do those things which are not fitting. Being filled. It says being filled. Now we've talked a lot about being filled. And it means being controlled by is what it means. Being, being controlled by unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, and they hate God. I mean, they hate Him. Violent. They become inventors. They're proud. They're inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning. Can I just hang up here for a second on, 30, on 31? Undiscerning. They don't understand They don't, I just, when you're in Christ and you're in your Bible and you're in prayer, you discern the times. Jesus, Jesus essentially commanded us to, to be able to perceive and understand the times. But if, if you don't have Christ, you don't, you're not able to discern that. So when we say, can't they see? No, they can't. 
If you have no truth in you, all you have is darkness. What do you see in the dark? Nothing. They're untrustworthy. Well, haven't we seen that? Unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. I just want to say something here real quick. I, I don't want to get into it, but this is an example of where we've come to for some of you who practice medicine. That's funny. But when you're a doctor or whatever, um, you're, you, you want to preserve life. You, you learn this to help people to preserve life. That's a ministry, actually. In Denver, the story. Lady needed a kidney transplant. She has a donor. She wouldn't take the COVID vaccine. They're refusing to do her surgery. They won't do it. She'll die without it. This is the first time thing. Now, wherever, wherever you land on that's your business. But I want to say this. I've never heard of physicians beginning to threaten people like that. Ever. These are professions that we've all long trusted. This is where you go for help. Unmerciful. They leave writhing infants out on the tables of abortions to die. This is happening in our land. They are selling them for parts and pieces. For who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, this is a scary part, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They approve of them. Imagine being so warped in your thinking that you approve of those who pander to such things. Imagine of being of the frame of mind that you'd look at Nadler and say, yeah, that's right. And everything you stand for. And we're just astonished, but the Bible tells us that these things are happening and in greater degree uh, every day. It is time of great it is a time of great spiritual blindness. But even if our gospel is veiled, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, now notice this, the God of this age has blinded, and that's another t- name for the Antichrist, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You're done when you're there. It's a mercy that any country or nation that, that promotes what ours has promoted as of late is allowed to even have free churches left in it which is why they're shutting them in Canada incrementally, slowly, in the name of safety. And of course, when you get to the other parts of the world, they don't put a filter on it. They just close them. <laughs> okay. Uh, communism is just what they do. That's just what it does. So the person of the Antichrist, I got this off of gotquestions.org. It's a great website. If you ever have a question, gotquestions is great. Okay. But here's how this person listed it. The person of the Antichrist, the imposing boastful king of Daniel 7, who oppresses the Jews and tries to change the set times and laws. Happened then, 
happens now. That's what's happening now to change times and laws. The leader who establishes a seven-year covenant with Israel and then breaks it in Daniel 9, you can better believe that's shaping up again. You remember, there's nothing new under the sun and history doth repeat itself and only fools who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Right, The king who sets up the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist. The man of lawlessness again. Now what does lawlessness look like? It looks like what you've seen in Portland and New York and L.A. It looks like what you're seeing in the White House. It looks like what happens when the governing documents of your nation are completely overlooked and disregarded as not even being there. It looks like when lies are celebrated as truth and truth is celebrated or expunged or uh, defeated as lies. You're censored, so to speak. He's also the rider on a white horse representing his claim to be a man of peace. Creepy man! He's the first beast, the one from the sea in Revelation 13. This beast receives power from the dragon, which is Satan, and speaks proud words and blasphemies and wages war against the saints. He hates you with a passion. Thankfully, the Antichrist and the beast, along with the false prophet, will be thrown into the lake of fire where they will spend all eternity in torment. And I want to say and hang out here just for a second. As ominous as all that is, and as yuck as it is, they're not God. Got to remember that. They're going down forever. They think they're having their day, when really all that's happening is the Lord is setting the stage for their absolute and total defeat. Forever. And he will glorify his name and those who profess his name forever. And he will save us to the uttermost in full completeness and in exhaustive consequence forever. Because that's the hope that we have when we know Jesus. Because we believe the gospel and we believe his name. Because we're people of the king. And we can't be shut down or shut out. Now we can be pressed and squashed We can be over there, but in the scheme of things, our God is the one directing all those issues. I'm prepared for what God may ask of me. Because as a pastor, I may have to go to jail or worse, I may die. But man, as one of my friends said recently, sure would like to, if I'm going to go out, I'd like to go out something big for God, you know, just... Rather than just, oh, he died in his sleep. How good would it be that he gave his life for the proclamation of the gospel? Just saying, God is over this. Don't ever forget it. If you're in Jesus, you're kept by the power of God. Oh, and I might add, there'll never be a nanosecond when he's not with you. So, so what is the Antichrist in summary? The Antichrist is the end times false messiah who seeks 
and likely achieves world domination, which, you know, we see that going there now, so that he can destroy Israel and all the followers of Jesus. That's who he is. That's where it's going. But hey, you all know how the story ends. There was that song once that I've read the back of the book and we win. <laughs> right? Yeah. That was a cathedral quartet used to sing that. Uh, I, I, I've read the back of the book and, and we win. In Jude chapter 20, or in Jude verse 24 and 25, this is where we put our stock. Now to him who is able, and I like that word, able, more than able. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty. Now notice these last two, dominion and power, both now and forever Amen. I think it deserves a reading again. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. So they're going to blow and they're going to shake their swords. They might even shoot at things and they may come at you and call you names and they may take stuff, but they can't take you and they can only do with you what God allows because God is with you because it's his dominion and it's his power and he's able to save you again to the uttermost if you know Jesus Christ, which is why on days like today, when we come and we partake of communion, we are celebrating that obvious fact by the elements which, with which are displayed in the communion service. His body that was broke for us for our sins. His blood that was spilled for us for our sins. That washes us away and cleanses us. In Him and on Him was put all my filth. On, and on all your filth was laid upon Him. And then when we come to Him in repentance and faith, through the sovereign act of regeneration and grace, we are received as children. Our sins are purged. We are set free. We're no longer in bondage. We have eternal hope. Kill this body. Take me to glory. That's our hope. And they hate us for it. But that's their problem. Okay? Because I say this, that Jesus is going to keep preaching through his people until he takes us away. And that's, debatable but he's still going to do that so i thank god for it but it may require us to toughen up a bit and step into that walk of faith that we've talked a lot about but maybe we hadn't been as strong as we thought it's time to as they say sometimes it's time to man up it's time to get a backbone courage that which jesus has given us and live, and live in spite of it all. I'm going to ask JT to come. We're going to have a little bit of an examination here before we take communion. With every bed, head bowed and eyes closed, if you will, I'm going to ask the deacons to go ahead and come and prepare the table as they do so. If you are here in this place,
and your, your head is in your lap, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? Would you be one of those who would succumb to the seductions of the Antichrist as He promises you the world but intends to take your soul? Are you one of those who would be left believing everything that He said? Because your only remedy is faith in Jesus and I would simply invite you. I would, I would extol you to repent and be saved. Christian, if you have waffled, if you've been overcome with fear, if you have anxieties of the age and the time which we live and you see what's written, don't, don't cast away your hope. You have all hope. You have exceeding joy. But just for a few moments, is there anything in your life that as you approach the Lord's table, as a born-again child of God, if you don't know Jesus, you've got no business taking it because it'll do you no good. But if you know Christ, can you take it with one who knows? They got nothing. You have nothing standing between you and your king. All is well. Living in obedience. You're doing your best. You trust in grace. You don't presume upon it. And you just hope that you might win one to Christ. Communion is, is for the Lord's people. Father, we ask your blessing upon this communion service now. And we ask, Lord, that as we partake of the Lord's table, as your word says, that we would first examine ourselves so as to make sure that we don't presume upon your table by trying to harbor sin or think for a second that, that you don't see it, but that we would confess it, repent of it, and deal with it and be done with it so that we might partake of your table with an upright heart, with a humbled attitude, and that of gratitude. Lord, move now among your people as we celebrate the Lord's death till He comes, as we commemorate the resurrection, as we look to what You did on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, Amen.